Hello, friends. I want to say welcome to Vernonia Church and our online teaching time. My name is Sam. I'm the pastor here at Vernonia Church, and I'm so thrilled that I have the chance to share with you today as we begin a brand new teaching series where we're going to talk about how to live rested versus rest less. And it's going to be a great day. I want you to know before we do anything that you are loved. You're loved. You're loved by God. You're loved by Jesus who gave his life for you on a cross. And and because Jesus loves you and God loves you, I love you too. I love Vernonia Church. I love our online uh, teaching time, those of you who come to it. And and I just want to I just want to let you know you are loved. Hey, before we do anything, I want to pray with you. Let, I want to pray for you. I especially want to pray today as we think about this idea of how restless we can be in life and how Jesus wants us to come to know his rest. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we just come before you and we're so grateful that you love us and that you invite us to know your rest, to know what it means to rest in you, to find rest for our souls, and not just for our souls, but God, you give us permission to slow down, to rest in you. Not only do you give us permission, but God, you even tell us to bring rest into our life. And so, God, I pray today as we think about how to live rested versus restless, that you will help us, God, come to know what it means to rest in Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Well, let's begin. We're going to begin this series this morning with a, with a teaching about how you are significant. And knowing you're significant can help you find rest when you feel restless. Have, have you ever felt like you just weren't getting enough rest? Maybe you felt restless. You, you just felt exhausted and tired. Uh, have you ever felt like you don't get enough rest? Maybe you felt like you needed more sleep. You needed a vacation. You just needed a getaway. Uh, have you ever been there? I, I know I have. I've felt that in my life at times, and and, and have you ever felt like you were just going, 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 and you could never slow down, and then maybe you felt like when you did slow down, you felt sort of guilty because you felt like, I just need to be doing more. Have you ever been in a place like that? Have you ever had someone just say to you, you know what, you need to slow down, you need to take a rest? Well, when we dive into our teaching today, we're going to find that God says that to us. God wants us to rest. We're going to begin this new teaching series where we're going to talk about the idea that God God calls us, He leads us to a place where we rest. And it's a spiritual practice. It's a spiritual discipline, learning how to rest in Jesus. He gives you permission. He commands you at times to rest. We work hard. We work hard. We work hard. And there comes a time where we just say, God, I'm going to rest in you. I know here in Vernonia, we live in a small town and and people often say, well, in small towns, the 
the pace is slower, everybody moves slower, everybody does things slower, and it's just a slower way of living. And there might be some truth to that when you live in a town like ours. But the truth, other truth is, is that there are a lot of restless people in our town. We have people that commute an hour, so the early morning group uh, is is not just not only just not resting, but they're rushing to get to work. If you ever drove our high Highway that hits the highway that heads over into uh, that heads over into Portland. You would find there's a lot of restless people, people who are just rushing and trying to get to work. And then those folks, they commute, they work all day, they rush back only to get back to work in some way, shape, or form. And it can be a, a tiring kind of, of life. And here in our town, we have lots of soccer moms, moms who moms who are, are, are working all the time, taking care of their kids, watching their kids, making sure their kids' needs are met. And then, and then afterwards, they're, they're shuffling their kids and shuttling their kids to their games to this town to that town and they're always on the move they're always on the go and in our town uh, we also have people who are living on a dual incomes and so not just one of them are commuting to work but two of them are going to work and they're going to work they're working hard they hardly ever cross paths with each other and they find themselves just tired just beat just just worn out and and does any of that sound familiar whether you live in a small town or a big town, uh, that's kind of how life is uh, today. Uh, people are are living these restless, these these always on the go, these always on the busy, always busy kind of lives. Does that sound familiar at all to you? And uh, it's no wonder why a lot of people you meet and a lot of people you talk with will say, "Well, I'm just." tired. I'm wore out. I'm overworked. I'm sleep deprived. And and I'm just, I'm just tired. Well, one of the reasons is because we don't know how to slow down. One one study showed that uh, Americans in America, 70% of adults say that they don't get enough sleep on a regular basis. And it's estimated that 50 to 70 million Americans of all ages are, are sleep deprived, have sleep problems, and, and have sleep disorders. And studies show that the average American is, is really sleep deprived. And all that sleepiness, if you add it to the high pressure work environments, we live in and and the rapidly approaching deadlines we have to meet and and the fast-paced digital world where where our phones connect us to work and they go with us wherever we go uh, whether we're in the car at home in the bathroom wherever you are your phone goes with you and often that phone uh, brings work with it and and we're tired Another report showed that the average American today gets two hours less sleep than they did 50 years ago. Uh, We don't know how to relax. We don't know how to slow down, to rest. Uh, We... We love to work. We, we're addicted to adrenaline and always being on the go. And a lot of us are like, well, like, like what it says in Job 20, verse 18. In Job 20, 18, it says, They are unable to relax and enjoy anything they've worked for. 
Have you ever found yourself there? Just unable to relax and enjoy anything you've been working for. And what we're going to see today is that God wants us to slow down, to relax at times, and to know His rest. And it's hard because a lot of us are workaholics. You might be a workaholic uh, who's joining us here. Maybe you're a workaholic in denial. You might say, well, how do I know if I'm a workaholic? Well, I found a, a, an article in Forbes, and, and the article has seven indicators that you might be a workaholic. And if any of these are, question, are, are things that you'd say, well, I do that often, or, or I do that a lot, then maybe you're a workaholic. Uh, number one is if you you think about how you can free up more time so that you can do more work. You might be a workaholic. And number two, if you spend uh, if you spend much more time working uh, than you inten- uh, uh, initially intended, so you set out to do something and you spend a lot more time doing it than you set aside for it. Number three, you work in order to reduce feelings of guilt, anxiety, and helplessness and depression. If that's your go-to, uh, then then maybe you're a workaholic. Number four, you've been told by others that you need to slow down and uh, you need to cut back on work and you just don't listen to them. You just keep plowing forward. Number five, uh, you become stressed when you're not working. You feel bad. If you're relaxing and you're taking some time, uh, number six, you deprioritize your hobbies, your leisure activities, or your exercise because of work. Number seven, you work so much that it's negatively affecting your health, and I would add to that, and your relationships. And I want to add one eighth one, and, and it's this uh, if you have to get sick, before you actually rest. If you have to get sick to stop you from working, it's like your body says you need rest. Well, does any of that hit home? Maybe you would say that that's always you, that's sometimes you, that's often you. Well, maybe you're a workaholic. And here's the thing, uh, that's not a status symbol to be proud of. It may actually be a sign of rebellion against God. Uh, it, may, it, it may be a sign that, that you have this misunderstanding of your identity in Him. It may be a sign that you lack trust in Him, that you're your, it may be a sign that, that you need God's grace in your life a little bit more. And God says to us, listen, I want to give you permission to rest. I want you to know my rest. Uh, in fact, he commands us to rest. Did you know that rest is actually one of the Ten Commandments? God put rest in his Ten Commandments because he knew we'd be tempted to not do it. Rest is one of the big ten, and and he created us. Not so that we would go and go and go and and burn out. He he created us in his image. And the truth is, is that even God at creation rested. He created for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And he he, he based one of his ten commandments on that very nature of who he is, saying he created us to be like him. And And he wants to give us rest, rest for our bodies, rest for our minds, rest for our spirits, and rest 
for our souls. Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 29, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and who carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I will make my yoke, or I'll take, or take my yoke upon you, and let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see, God is good. And if you're at home, you're saying all the time. <laughs> and Jesus is your good shepherd. And Jesus says, if you follow me, I'll bring you to a place of rest. In this series, we're going to be talking about how all, all kinds of ideas that go with the rest that he wants to give us. How we practice this rest, how we can know his rest, and, and how to take part in his rest, and how to break the cycle of restless living. And I want to begin this series with a message called, You Are Significant. You're significant to God. You are important to God. You are loved by God, and you matter to God. And your significance doesn't come from what you accomplish with all your restlessness. See, that's the problem. Problem is we get restless because we think that the, the busier we are, the more work we do, the more we acquire, the more success we have, the more significant we are. But God wants us to know that, that our significance comes from him. You know, one, one of the ways that we even show that is if someone asks us, hey, how you doing? What's, what's happening? How, how was your week? And so often, a lot of us will answer, and I'm going to be guilty of this as well, we answer by saying, oh, I've just been so busy. I've been busy. You know, maybe we'll go in and we'll talk about some of the things we've been busy doing or busy being about. And, and it's as if we think that if we tell people we're busy, what we're telling them is that we're significant, we're important, that we've been doing insignificant and important things, and, and how are you doing? It's almost a humble brag. Oh, I've just been so busy. And I know that uh, I'm not the only one. I hear it all the time. And what we, what we need to do is we need to realize that our significance doesn't come from being a workaholic. Our, our significance doesn't come from, from our success, our money, our finance, our accomplishments. It doesn't come from being so busy that we can't slow down and know Jesus rest. See, God, God is the one that gives you significance. Jesus is the one that, that gives you significance. Je Jesus came to save you. He died on a cross to give you love, to show you love. And, and if you said you believe in him, he, he adopts you into his family and he makes you his own child and, and he will crown you with his own righteousness and he will give you a place of honor at his table and, and you become a significant child because of the significance Jesus gives you, not because you've been just so busy and working so hard and running your body down without rest. He wants to give you rest. And what I'd like to do this morning is talk about how 
knowing that we're significant can bring rest to our souls and rest to our hearts. We are significant. You are significant. I'm significant in Jesus Christ. And, and, and here's here's just three thoughts that, that help us know that significance. Number one, thought number one is this. Jesus has already chosen you. In, the, uh, in 1 John, the Apostle John reminds us that God already loves us. He already cares for us. His love and his care, it's not based on your accomplishments. It's not based on all the work that you're doing. It's not even based on your love for him. That he already loves you way before you loved him. He loved you when you were rebellious. He loved you when you didn't believe. He loved you when you turned away from him. He loved you while you were a sinner. He loved you before you knew about him because you you're significant to him. He made you, created you, and loved you, and made you the object of his love way before you ever even knew his name. In John, 1 John 4.10, it says this, this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the Apostle Peter reminds us that when we accept Christ into our lives, we become a chosen people. We become people that God says, I choose you. I choose to give you significance and a place in my kingdom. I choose you. And here's some of what he's chosen us for in 1 Peter 2, 9. It says, but you, uh, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And what that means in a fast-paced, high-energy society is that uh, is that it's t this society is tiring itself out to find significance, but you don't have to. You can slow down and know you're significant. You can relax, take a big breath, and you can say, I'm significant to God. Because I know where my significance comes from. It, it doesn't come from, from the fast-paced life that, that I'm living at times. Deuteronomy chapter 10, 17, Moses writes this. Listen, God, your God. He's the God of all gods. He's the master of all masters. And God's immense and powerful and awesome. And he doesn't play favorites. And he takes no bribes. You know, you're restlessness and your workaholism and and your all, all, all your all your energy that you're spending restless uh, it's not going to bribe god to love you more to think you're more significant it's not going to add to the significance of your eternal life no Jesus gives you your significance. God, who is awesome and the Lord of all lords and the master of all masters, when he declares you're significant, it's true. 
And he doesn't show favorites. In Romans chapter 2, 11, it says God does not show favoritism. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, it says there's no partiality with him. God is impartial with his love. He's impartial when it comes to those he calls. Uh, those he calls to come to him, to believe in him, to repent and to turn to him. And when a man or a woman repents and does turn to him, he says, I choose you. I choose you. I choose to give you grace impartially. I choose to give you hope and love impartially. And nothing we do can impress him, will make him love us more, will make him think we're more significant, because my significance comes from Jesus, not my accomplishments. And so I just want to give you permission, permission to take time this week and rest. And when you do, don't feel bad about it. And when you do, don't, uh, don't, don't feel guilty about it. When you do, uh, don't get restless, and when you're tempted to maybe get restless, just say, you know what, my significance is in Jesus, and Jesus wants me to rest. Later on in this series, we're going to talk about how to practice spiritual resting, uh, but right now, before we even talk about that, we need to understand the the importance he shows us, the, how significant we are, that, that our significance isn't on all our accomplishments. Our significance comes from Jesus and what he's already done. And that brings us to number two. And number two is this, that Jesus wants to free you. He wants to free you from from seeking significance anywhere else. He wants to free you from feeling like you're not significant if you're if you're not accomplishing, if you're not doing. Uh, he wants to free you from anything that might captivate you and your heart to give you a false sense of significance. He wants to free you from deciding anyone else's significance, and he wants to free you from thinking you need to create your own significance. Often our restlessness comes from those very feelings. God knows that even Christians can uh, have a hard time sometimes being captivated by these things. And in James chapter 2, the Apostle James is going to talk to the church. And he's going to tell th those who are Christians all over the world and part of churches all over the world, he's going to tell us, listen, don't look at the things the world looks to for significance. In fact, when you're tempted to do that, realize it's wrong. In James chapter 2, he writes this, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Remember, we saw that God doesn't favor or show favoritism, that God's impartial. For example, he says in verse 2, uh, For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting, your worship service at your church, dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in that is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, hey, stand over there or, 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 or else uh, sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me. 
my dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed. It's good when you obey the royal law found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you've still broken the law. So whatever you say or do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. And the point that James is making is that God's impartial. Uh, he wants to free you from being partial. In their day, uh, people would wear a lot of gold rings, and and it's said that one of the images that James paints here is someone who walks into church being gold-fingered. They have gold rings all over their fingers, and people would look, and they would ooh and ah, and look how wealthy and rich and blessed that person is. And they even had stores where a person could go in, and they could rent rings so they could go around and parade their wealth. And, and what he's saying is that when someone comes into your church gold-fingered, uh, don't show them a special place just because they seem to be wealthy. And when someone else comes in and they've got dirt all over their hands, and they're not gold-fingered, they're dirt-fingered, or, or they're diesel-fingered, however you, <laughs> you want to think about it, uh, don't show favoritism. And one of the reasons that we would be tempted to show favoritism is we would think that all that wealth and all that success, well, that means that person is significant and and the person who doesn't have well that means that person is insignificant and we ought to be looking at everyone in the church and saying hey God wants to bless everyone. We ought to be looking at one another and at the at, at the people in our church and saying what God's more interested in favoritism in your wealth and your success, which, by the way, that's not how you find significance. It's by the blood of Christ that you find significance anyways. We ought to be looking at one another and saying what God cares about is obedience. And what God wants to do is bless us uh, when we're obedient. And you know, one of the ways that and one of the things that God provides for us to help us find significance in, in him and to help us stop finding significance in the, in the wrong place. And you might, you might, you got to stay with me here on this thought, uh, is tithing. 
Now I'm going to explain to you what I mean by that, and and we're going to kind of we're going to spend some time talking about this. You're going to see where we're going here, but you might not have ever thought about how one of the reasons God talks to us about tithing, whether we're rich or we're poor in the church, is because it helps re- us remind ourselves. It helps us remind our hearts that our significance is not in our work. It's not in our it's not in our money. It's not in our success, but it's it's in Jesus. And, and it helps remind us where the source of all that we have comes from him. And when we tithe, it's not about an amount. There are some people who are very wealthy that give quite a bit, but there are other people who are who who are poor and they give quite a bit too. You see, with the principle of tithing is proportional. It's not about an amount. Now, God, throughout all the scriptures, will challenge us to put him first when it comes to our wealth. Whether it's before the Old Testament law, or or during the Old Testament law, or whether it's in the New Testament, God's going to challenge us to put him first and to give him of our first fruits. In Malachi chapter 3, God says through the prophet Malachi to the people that he loves, he says this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, then I will open up the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. One of the only times God says, test me in this And and when it comes to tithing, I think in the church, among Christians, uh, and even outside the church, there's a misunderstanding about what the concept is. And so I'm going to explain it to you. And I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm doing here today. My, My goal is not to talk you into tithing, although I think some of that will uh, a conviction in that and th- thinking about that will just be a natural result of the conversation. The point is to show that rich or poor, God calls us to be obedient. Well, when it comes to a tithe, the word comes from a word that means a tenth. Sometimes in the church, people misunderstand, and they think that if they simply give something to the church or they give a, a little bit, whether they give a lot, that that's their tithe. But tithing in the Bible means 10%, that we give 10% of what we make to the church. In the Old Testament, they brought the 10%. God says, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse. The storehouse in the in the Old Testament was the temple in Jerusalem. In the New Testament, it's your local church, the church that you worship at. Uh, he says, bring, uh, bring 10% into the storehouse, bring your tithe into the storehouse and and test me in this see if I don't bless you another misconception people have is well I I give and and some of my I, I give my tithe to a mission or this charity or that charity and again uh, that's a misunderstanding of the tithe the tithe was to be brought to the storehouse giving anywhere else that's a that's an offering uh, that's that's a different concept and that's a another teaching for another day uh, but the idea is is that we bring the whole tithe to the storehouse and and what God is interested in is not the amount. 
What he's interested in is that we're doing it proportionally. If I was going to bring the whole tithe to the storehouse and I make $20,000 a year, which I think it would be safe to say that most people today uh, at, make something around there. I mean, we have people that do make less, uh, but most people at least make that. And, and if I make 20000 a year, that means I will give $2,000 as my tithe a year to my church. If I make 40,000, then I'm giving 4,000 a year to my church. If I make 100,000, that means I'm giving uh, $10,000 a year to my church. And and if I make a million, that means I'm giving 100,000 to my church. That's the, the tithe. But listen, God is not uh, showing favoritism. He, he's not saying, oh, the gold-fingered ones are the ones I'm looking for. No, he challenges us all to give proportionally. The person living on $20,000 a year giving 2000 feels it just as much as the person uh, who gives, who makes a million and gives a hundred thousand. It's, it's a proportional sacrifice that he calls us to. It, it, it's an equal sacrifice, uh, regardless of the amount. In fact, someone could give a whole lot of money, but for them, it's not a tithe and they're still not being obedient. And they're still not opening up God's blessing for their life. And another person could give just a little bit, but they're giving over and above a tithe because for them, it's a sacrifice and what they're giving. Uh, God is, is not interested in how much you give as he is and how proportional we give, and he won't show favorites. He calls us all to do that. And, and here's the thing, God talks about money and he talks about tithing, not for his benefit, but for ours. And we're going to explain that in just a minute. You see, the Bible will talk a lot about money. It talks a lot about it. Uh, money is a spiritual issue. The Bible will uh, share about money. Jesus will teach about money and, and talk about money a lot. In fact, some will say that Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. Uh, that he talked a lot about money. And, and we might wonder, well, why would he talk about money so much? Why, why would it talk about this idea of tithing all throughout the scriptures, whether you're looking in Genesis, before the law was written, or you're looking in Matthew where Jesus said uh, you ought to tithe. And why? Why would he do that? Well, it's because of a spiritual truth. Jesus would teach us in Luke chapter 12, verse 34. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. If you think about it, money is something we deal with, talk about, think about just about every day, isn't it? I mean, every day we think about the price at the grocery store when we're thinking about buying dinner or going out to eat and we're thinking about the price uh, of, of our meal and we're paying for that meal and we're eating that meal, thinking about the cost, right? It's something we think about every day. We think about the bill that's due or we think about the taxes we need to do or we think about, uh, the, we think about the next thing we're going to purchase on Amazon. And we think about it and deal with it every day. 
We work for it almost every day. We, we Hopefully not seven days a week. And for some of you, I'm hoping this series will help you maybe remedy that. But we, we work every day to earn money. And, and we, we, we deal with money just about every day. And money in Scripture is one of those things that, that we learn is competitive with God in our life. It's probably the biggest thing that competes for a spot in our life that only God should have. And God wants to free us from worshiping the false god of money, from serving the idol of money. Because often what we do is we don't rest because we think Earning money, working for money, serving money, gaining money, and all the things we do to live so that we can live with more money, all those things we do we think makes us significant. And we might not like to admit it, but we do. We think it's what gives us our significance. So we work extra shifts and work extra hours and we go through week after week without rest. And we, we wear ourselves out for money. We wear ourselves out and, and we, we, we hurt ourselves. We, we neglect important things in our lives like our family or time with our kids or time with our spouse, all for money. For we, we might call it success. We might call it climbing the ladder. We might call it uh, getting that promotion. Whatever we want to call it, what it amounts to is it all comes down to money. We think that that's what gives us significance. And God will say to us, no, I want to free you from that. I'll put this place in the space of your spiritual life that if you practice this, it will help you Remind your money that I'm the one that makes you significant. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4, he says, Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich, but be wise enough to know when to quit. You know what you're doing when you're wearing yourself out for riches? It's something that a lot of people do. You're looking for money to give you only what God does. You're looking for money to give you significance. And God calls us to put him first, to direct our hearts and our money to worship of him, to trust in him, to give us what only he can give. He doesn't ask us to tithe because we need it or he needs it. Uh, He doesn't ask us to tithe because our church needs it, which, you know, makes a difference. But I want you to hear something. I want you to hear it clearly. When I talk about tithing or giving or money, I'm not talking about it because I'm asking you to give to Vernonia Church because Vernonia Church is hurting or in need. We have a lot of people who love Jesus and trust in God, who give and who tithe, and and God is taking care of us. I believe that regardless of whether you give or you tithe, that if we're doing what God wants us to do, God's going to provide, and and God has provided, and He'll continue to provide. And so don't hear me talking about money, thinking that, oh, there's a preacher talking about his church, so we'll give to it. No, not at all. In fact, 
that's not even the, the point of this. The point is that God, God wants you to tithe for your sake. He wants you to give for your sake. He wants you to give so that you can say, uh, I know that my money is not what gives me significance. God gives us the tithe to help us. He gives us the tithe because when we tithe, we realize that he's the one that, that, that gives us and provides for us and that he's the one that takes care of us. And God shows no favoritism. I'm just as proud of the, uh, of the young person who, who, who's scraping to get by, who's practicing tithing as I am the, the person who's very wealthy who practices tithing. Uh, and they're just as important. And, and God wants us all uh, to find our sense of self-worth in him. And he wants us to treat everyone uh, without favoritism. And do you know how much you're worth to him, by the way? Do you know how much he's given to you, by the way? Look at what he's done on the cross for you. He doesn't give you 10% of his life and 10% of salvation. He, he gives you everything he has to give. He gave 100% of his life. He, he gave a 100% and sacrificed a 100% for you. He left all the authority and the worship of heaven where, where his word would go unquestioned to come into this world where, where people rebelled against him, rejected him, questioned every word he said. And then he gave his life. Not to pay for 10% of our sins, but to pay for 100% of our sins. Not to pay the price for, for just some of what we've done, but to pay the price for all of it. And before even the oldest of us who are here were born, he loved us 100%. He gave all of his life, all of his blood, all of his sacrifice so that he could give you and me all the salvation we need. That's how much he values you. That's how much he's given to you. And he promises that, that no amount of money or success or work or restless living that you can live, he promises that's not where you're going to find significance he promises that no amount of money or work or success or lack of success you have, that he will give you a new start, that he'll give you a new heavenly home, that he'll give you a new identity, that, that he will make you a son or a daughter of Christ. And, and he doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't give more grace and more blessing to the rich or to the poor. He, 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 he wants you to know that you could come to Jesus, you could rest in him. He wants you to know that, that, that you could come to him and, and find significance. Jesus wants to free you from worry about your significance and from, from thinking that you need to find significance in worldly things and all the things that you're doing. And he wants to free you, by the way, not just from all the all the work that you think gives you significance that doesn't. He, he wants to free you from that. He, he wants to free you from worship of money and, and, and following the false idol and false god of money. But mainly, 
He wants to free you from sin and from death, and he wants to free you from guilt and shame, and he wants to free you. He wants to free you. Why? So you can live for him. And so you can live with him. He wants to free you so you can know a real significance in him. And so number one, Jesus, he's already claimed you. He claimed you at the cross. And when you said yes to him, he claimed you as one of his own, as a, as a, a royal priesthood. He, he's called you a holy nation, and he's claimed you. He's put his claim on you, and he, he wants to free you. And number three, number three is this. He's already invited you. He, he's not waiting for you to earn a significance. He's not waiting for you to work real hard and to, to show him how important to his kingdom you are. No, he has already opened an invitation for you to come to know him and to know your significance in him. Again, God is impartial. No matter how sinful you were, no matter how big or small your sins or your, your guilt might be, might be he has paid the complete price for you and he's invited you to come to know him in second corinthians chapter 5:21 the apostle paul teaches us saying this for god made christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with god through christ he's already invited He's invited you to make a first-time decision to believe in Jesus. And he said that if you believe in him, he'll give you eternal life. And no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you're significant to him. He loves you, and he's invited you to believe and to be saved. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, the Apostle Paul teaches us that if you openly declare Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. He's invited you to confess your belief. He's invited you to come to a place where you say, I'm making a first-time decision to believe. And, and when we do that, he says, I'm making you significant. Well, maybe you're here this morning and you've been living a restless life. You've been trying to find significance and, and, and just being on the go all the time. Well, I'm here to tell you, you can just stop. You can come to Jesus and you can say, I'm going to find my significance in you. Maybe you need to make a first-time decision to believe and let him bring you to a new kind of rest. Well, do it today. We have, we have an online connection card. You can click the link to below. And there's a spot there to say, I'm making a first-time decision to believe. Maybe you just need to confess it, and I'd like to give you a way to do that. Let me know you're making that first-time decision so that you can come to know the rest of God in your life. Maybe maybe you, you need to realize that not only has he invited you to make a first-time decision, but he, he might be inviting you to completely turn your life around. Some of you might be here and you've just been going, God, I'm I'm a workaholic. God, I haven't rested in, you know, a year. I haven't taken a day off or a time off. And and 
and you have been running on caffeine and you've been running on uh, fumes for a long time and you thought that that's what was giving you significance maybe we just need to turn and we need to say you know what gotta i'm gonna turn to you for my significance because that's the significance that matters one of the ways that we do that is we just say you know what god I'm done letting money be my Lord. I'm done letting work be my Lord. I'm going to let you be my Lord. I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to come to you and know that you are why I'm significant. Not not because of any of these other things, but you. You give me my significance. And we just say, Jesus, you're the Lord. In the Bible, We'll use this word, repent. Jesus would teach us, Matthew 3, 2, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the word repent simply means to turn around. It means to change direction. I was walking away from God. I was finding significance in everything but God. And now I'm going to call you, Jesus, Lord, and find my significance in you. In John chapter 11, verse 25 to 27, Jesus has this conversation with this lady named Martha, and he's helping her go from a place of, uh, in a moment of unbelief to a place of belief. And he says to her this, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And she answers by saying in verse 27, Yes, Lord. I, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. There's something about reminding ourselves that Jesus is Lord, that he's this awesome God, that that he's our shepherd, that he's our good shepherd and our good God. Saul, who later would be renamed Paul, we would know him as the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, when he when he repented, when he turned around, in the process of it, he declared that Jesus was Lord. Twice he said it. Lord, Lord, with emphasis, you are the Lord. And maybe you're in a place where you just need to say, you know what? I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Because knowing Jesus as Lord, that's what gives me significance. It's not all the work I do. It's not my workaholism it's not it's not it's not the money i'm earning or the or the energy i'm burning that gives me my significance it's the lord well if you're here and 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 you just need to say once again maybe for the first time you know what jesus is my lord i'm making him the lord of my life there's also a spot on your online connection card where you can let us know that that you want to make jesus the lord 
of your life. I really want to encourage you to make that decision today so that you can say, you know what, Jesus is the one that that gives me my significance. I believe in him and, and I want to receive him and and I want to repent and turn my life and and give it to him. And I want to know his rest, not only in my life, but in my heart. Do you want to know some rest? Do you want you want to, do you need to experience some rest? Let's find significance and start with finding significance in Jesus. If you can do that, you might be able to find yourself getting to the point where you can say like David did in in the Psalms, the Lord is my shepherd. And you know where the Lord leads me? He leads me to lie down in green pastures beside still waters. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Do you need rest today? Do you need to come to him today and just say, Jesus, Jesus, I'm done. I'm done trying to find significance in all the other places. And I'm just going to come to you and find rest for my soul. I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you today. God's not a God who shows favoritism. God's not a God who's going to be impressed by how much or how little you make. God is a God who just says, obediently follow me, come to me, believe in me, and I'll give you rest. I just want to pray with you that we can find the rest of God in our life. Father in heaven, a lot of us have times where we just live restlessly. We're restlessly going from one thing to the other. We're restlessly finding ourselves uh, trying to find significance in our accomplishments, in our wealth, in our success, in our money. And God, we just repent right now. We say to you, we are sorry that we've been trying to find significance in places that give us, well, really nothing. But God, I pray that you'll help us to find significance in you find our significance in you, to come to you and say, God, will you give us rest? As we talk about rest in this series, Father, I just pray that you will help us understand how to experience the rest you offer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Well, once again, I want to say thank you for joining me for our online teaching time today, uh, and and I just want to I just want to invite you to come back next week. We're going to be continuing for the next four weeks talking about the rest that Jesus offers, how to live rest full versus rest less. And I look forward to diving into this series more. But we got to start by saying. My significance is in Jesus. Throughout this week, as you go throughout your week, when you find yourself just taking a moment to slow down and maybe you feel guilty about it or you find yourself in a restless time, uh, just turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, my significance is in you. And see if that doesn't help.
See if that doesn't make a difference this week. I'd love to hear if it does, by the way. Just let me know uh, how, how that helps you. I'd love to, I'd love to know it. Well, I want to I wanna say, uh, just take a minute and transition a thought here. I want to say thank you to those of you who have been giving and are giving so that we can continue to put out these online teaching times. Uh, some of you have been giving financially. You've even been tithing. We're like your online uh, worship time. We, this, we're your online church, and you've been tithing. And uh, I want to say thank you. For those of you who are doing that, your tithing, your giving uh, has been making a difference. I also want to say thank you to those of you who are praying, and I want to encourage you to continue praying, that that we're able to continue sharing God's Word and truth with people all over through this online teaching time. And please be praying for Vernonia Church as we continue to do the work that God wants us to do, as we continue to teach and preach from His Word and help people make decisions. Last week, we had two people get baptized, and it was exciting. And uh, we have I had someone come up to me and say, God's just been working on my heart. And they're, they're starting to get ready to make a decision, to a first-time decision to believe in Jesus and repent and they're talking about following that up with baptism and I'm exciting I'm excited about that by the way I didn't mention baptism today I just figured we'll talk about two steps and we could talk about that one next but if that's something you're interested in I'd love to help you make that decision too and that's actually an option on your connection card and we'll we're going to be talking about that as we go on this uh, in this series But uh, I want to say thank you to those of you who are praying and those of you who are giving. And I want us to say, keep it up. You're you're making a difference. And uh, I want to finish up today's online teaching time by declaring it's been a great day in his word together. I've had a great time getting into the word together with you. And uh, let's just declare it's been a great day on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. It's been a great day. I hope you have a great day. And I'm so glad that you're here to worship with us today.